This is the Fail Fast Podcast. Stories of entrepreneurs who looked at failure in the eyes and didn't give up. With your host, the online sales master, Quinn Amorum. Welcome back to the show, my friends. Today, we have with us Mark Eckler. He's the managing director at Math Venture Partners and the co-author of Exit Right. Mark was also an early employee at Apple, and he was the head of innovation at Redbox. Mark, how's it going today? Hey, Quinn. Ah, it's good. You know, the, I'm here in Chicago. The sun is shining. Life is good. I'm excited for this conversation. Well, thanks for being here, and I'm excited to have you here. I want to know all about this. I mean, it's so excited that I, I know Redbox. Uh, uh, to be honest, I don't know if Redbox still exists. You, you, you probably know that, but that was that red, uh, literally a red box where you could get DVDs from. Is is that the yeah, one? That was it. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. You, you know, at the peak, we were we had more locations. If you think of in the United States, every McDonald's and every Starbucks combined we had more locations than McDonald's and Starbucks combined. And at our peak, one third of all U.S. households were renting a movie from us every month. My goodness. Yeah, it turned into a big company. That, that, was, that, that was insane. I used to call them the, 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 the movie ATMs. I don't know if yeah. that was, uh, yeah. I was the only one that called it that, but <laughs> that's funny. My goodness. Yeah, so, no, we, 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 we thought of ourselves as democratizing entertainment, making it entertainment affordable and accessible to everybody. And so you were head of innovation. Uh, does that mean you were the one like inventing new things for the company to come up with or what exactly is yeah. that? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. So, for example, we launched a games division. So from the red box, you could rent movies and then you could rent games. And that's an example of, of some of the innovation that we did at Redbox. Wow. So um, I, I know you're, you're not with Redbox anymore, but just for curiosity, is it still around? Does it still exist? It is, you know, the, it's dwindled over the years, of course, but the, the interesting thing is there's a long tail that, I know we live in a digital world, in a streaming world, but the reason that Redbox was able to exist in the first place is that most people wanted new releases. The, you know, when the days of Blockbuster, you saw the store with row after row after row of titles and you thought, oh my God, this is great. I get all this choice. But over 90% of the Blockbuster rental was off the 30-day wall, the new releases. And that's what most people want is access to new releases. And if you look at the major streaming services today, it's still not easy to get new uh, Netflix. They have mostly original content now. They don't have new release movies or not many. And so there's still a very long tail. The people are still renting DVDs primarily because they want to get access to new releases. You know, my favorite thing was like, if in the middle of the night, because I always like doing my online work at night. So if I wanted to watch something back then, I could go at any time and get one. Right. Right? So any video club was closed, 
you close it, you know, sometimes some of them too early. Uh, that was like amazing for me. <laughs> yeah, indeed. So, uh, but I'd love to, to tell you, so since I left Redbox almost 10 years ago, and, uh, you know, since I've been a partner in a venture capital fund, and one of the things that gives me great joy is helping and coaching entrepreneurs through their entrepreneurial journey. So I'm guessing that has something to do with um, how you were ahead of innovation. So the guy that tries to foresee the future, uh, I guess, can you see that in new companies? And, and is that, I don't know for sure, but is that your guess in this new venture partners is trying to foresee who has captured the idea of what's going to be big? Yeah. So it takes years to, from a startup to get product market fit, to build and grow and scale a company, you know, it may take, we're early stage investors. So it may take seven, 10, 12, 15 years before we have an exit. So the investments that I make today, I have to think what's going to be, what's the world going to look like 10 years from now? Uh, and so prior from, to me joining Redbox, I'd been in the computer industry my whole career. So I started off at Apple in the very, very beginning days. I've got some great Steve Jobs stories from, you know, I was there in 1983, 84. Um, and then I, I became an entrepreneur and I started four different companies. You know, my first one, my first company I started was in 1986 and literally was the second product ever for Windows 1.0. And I raised venture capital when there were maybe 20 VCs in the entire country. Mm -hmm. um, and I sold that to Symantec. And then my second company was an educational software company that failed miserably. And then my third company was a games company that did really well. And then my fourth company was a healthcare company. So I've had a um, really eclectic career or my joke is I think I've had a fun and eclectic career and my wife thinks I can't hold a job. So it's like, you know, it's all a matter of perspective. Exactly. It's all perspective. So tell me something. Now it's Math Venture Partners. You're the managing director, but you're also one of the founders. Is that correct? Yes. So what exactly is Math Venture Partners? So we're, we're an early stage venture capital fund. Uh, we're investing primarily in software companies in North America. Um, we're mostly B2B as opposed to B2C. We are industry agnostic, but our investment thesis is centered around something a little bit different, which is we love companies who know how to sell, who have an unfair advantage in customer acquisition, who have leverage in a sales model. So we think most entrepreneurs are really smart. They can see a problem and solve it. And I have a saying, which is the greatest product in the world without customers is a great product. It's not a business. So we're looking for companies, software companies to invest in who not only can build great products, but also know how to sell them. Gotcha. And you said that is North America, so U.S., Canada, uh, Mexico as well. That's it for now. Yes. And part of the reason is we, um, because we're early stage in, uh, investors and because our leverage isn't our money, our leverage is our operating experience 
you know, I know how to, I have built, grown, scaled many companies. Uh, it's that leverage of operating experience that's really important. And because of that, we spend a lot of time with our portfolio companies. And I know we live in a digital world, but it's really important to us to be able to spend time with our with our companies and to help them grow. Nice. So uh, the last, I would say the last probably couple of years, there was an explosion of aggregators. But you guys are not like the aggregators. You don't go and buy a brand and then no. run it yourselves, right? That's not what you want. You simply want to invest in these brands that you see have a, a promising future. Yep. And they will manage themselves or how does that part go? Yeah, so we're we are minority investors. We're it's venture capital. And so we give them money in exchange for equity and typically what happens is we sit on the boards of directors of these companies. And as board members, we certainly have influence. Uh, but it's it's the CEO who's and the executive team who's responsible for uh, operating and managing the company. Got it. And you mentioned mostly software companies. So yeah. uh, do people approach you when they have software ideas? Uh, do, do you have that happen? Sure. But in order for us to invest, every venture capital fund has their own investment thesis. Ours is we like it when the product is built, when there hopefully there's some product market fit. It's actually in the marketplace. We have some feedback from customers. So we typically would not invest when it's just an idea. Mm -hmm. We invest once the product is built or at least in a minimally viable product where we can get some reaction and feedback from the customers. Nice. Uh, can you give some examples of companies, services that have been funded? Yeah, even if you don't want to say the names of the companies, but what they are, sure. what they do. Yeah, we've made over a hundred investments at Math over the course of eight years, um, and it's a wide variety of companies and industries. Companies, uh, some famous ones like Built uh, Built In, um, in the tech hiring and content space. Acorns, the fintech product, uh, music audience exchange, Trainual, Virtuous. I mean, there's literally over a hundred different companies that we've we've made investments in over the years. Okay, so if, for example, uh, I have an, uh, an agency, an e-commerce agency. If this was one of the services or one of the cases that you guys were funding, would I approach you and bring it up or? Do you go out there and look for those opportunities? We do look, but the vast majority of time, the entrepreneur approaches us. The entrepreneur comes to us seeking capital. I mean, every once in a while, we have an, we, we will go to them, but the vast majority of times, the um, entrepreneurs come to us. Got it. Okay. Uh, can you explain the process kind of of what is needed on... Uh, let's say on my end, if I wanted uh, capital, what would be needed uh, besides having, you know, the viable product? Do I need to have partners or could it be just sole proprietorship or uh, are there things that you guys look for? Sure. Uh, and once again, every venture capital fund has a, their own investment thesis. 
Some invest by stage, early, mid, A rounds, B rounds, later stage. Some invest by geography, only Canada or only Midwest or Silicon Valley. Some invest by industry segment like ad tech or fintech or agriculture. Um, and you, you have to know the investment thesis of the venture fund that you're approaching to see if it's appropriate. So at our venture capital fund, we wrote a six-page document called the Founders Checklist. It's on our website. And it's a very detailed, here's who we are, here's what we look for, here's how to prepare for a meeting before you come to meet with us, here's our investment thesis, here's how you follow up afterwards. And we actually wrote a, a very detailed guide for the entrepreneur to answer exactly your question, to make it easier for the entrepreneur and to help prepare them for the most successful meeting possible with us. And then as, as early stage investors, um, you guys can have, uh, I mean, a big outcome, but can also have a lot of risk. Yeah. Uh, is, uh, is it more often the risk or more often do you get the rewards? <laughs> well, you know, my, I joke around my friends. I say this is the dumbest way to make money that um, we're investing in very early companies that are that are incredibly risky, that where there's a high failure rate, and there's no liquidity. So once we make an investment, it could, we could, it could take 10, 12 years before there's an exit. Um, and so you have high risk, no liquidity. You know, there's, and it's really, really hard building and growing and scaling businesses. And there's always problems and issues. Um, like there are easier ways to make money. But, but, you know, I love it. We really, I really, this is something I'm, we're really passionate about and I think good at. And one of the things that we are, that makes us a little bit unusual, because we have such a high focus on sales and customer acquisition, and because we're operators, and I believe in fundamentals and really, you know, building real businesses with real customers and real operating fundamentals, um, we have a much higher success rate than industry average. Um, so I don't know. I don't, I don't <laughs> we'll see, you know, at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is writing checks back to LPs. So, uh, you know, there's still a long road ahead, but, but we really do have a focus on the operating fundamentals. Got it. So it takes, it only takes one unicorn to, uh, to pay off a lot of the ones that didn't work out. Right. Well, that is for sure. That, that that is the industry sort of norm. I I picture it. I don't know if this is the, the correct analogy, but I picture it. You know those uh, new crypto coins that come out and they're worth zero point zero zero five cents, and you don't know what they're if ten years from now if they're going to be worth a dollar, and you you know you buy a, a million of those coins, and if they're worth a dollar for you know ten years from now. Uh, it, you know, you 300 times your money or uh, it, it's kind of similar to that because they also, you know, that the majority of them are not going to go anywhere. Well, maybe I actually think you know, this could be hubris speaking, but 
I believe that we're in the pattern recognition business and we know how to work. We know how to identify good entrepreneurs, good operators. We know how to identify big markets and we have a lot of skills to bring to help these companies grow and scale. And so while there is certainly, it's not easy being an entrepreneur and there is failure, unlike a Bitcoin, unlike a, you know, a token, it's sort of out of your control. There's nothing, there's no value add that you can do to affect the outcome of the value of that currency 10 years from now. In my case, we could have a tremendous impact on the success of that company. And there's a lot that we have that is outside of our control, but there's a significant amount that we can do that's that we control to, to, ensure or bend the arc towards success. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I can see it. Uh, since since you are an investor, if you, with your experience and your partner's experiences, you can see patterns that have, things that have happened in the past, that you don't want to see them happen again. And others that are the opposite, like, oh, yes, I saw this happen with Uber. Let's let's keep this up. You know? let's, do, let's, let's do more of that. Yeah. For, for sure. I, I have a lot of scar tissue. You know, I've, I've, as an operator, I've made a ton of mistakes and uh, I've lived through some serious down markets. And, you know, I, 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 I can, I now have enough data points where I know when I see a good operator in a big market, I, I can identify pretty clearly what I'm seeing. You know, sometimes you say, that person has so much experience that they could write a book about whatever that is. You actually have the book Exit Right that you are uh, one of the co-authors, correct? You and uh, Murta Sherry is is his name. There you go. He's he's my co-author. So the book, it is already for sale, right? It's recent, but it it is available. Yep. I guess the name that says what it's about, it's about it. It teaches us what to do properly to exit, to exit right. Is that the exit right as a correct exit? Is that what? It, it, it is. What we did is, so it turns out that there are some best practices around how to optimize the sale of your company. And we, we decided to write a book uh, to help entrepreneurs to give back to help understand and demystify what is a pretty opaque process of selling a company. And we had this great journey. We interviewed dozens and dozens of CEOs who sold their company. um, And we asked them lots of questions about that experience and what do they know now that they wish they knew before? And what are the really hard lessons learned? And we talked to bankers and M&A attorneys, and we talked to the leaders of Corp Dev at Apple and Facebook and Google and Microsoft and some of the, the big tech companies out there in the Valley. And we asked them for, like, give us examples of, of good deals and why, and give us examples of deals that didn't work and why, and what do you wish CEOs knew? And we came up with all sorts of not only really interesting, compelling stories, but a lot of wisdom a lot of great nuggets. And the first nugget is that even though the book is about how to sell your company, it turns out that 
the decisions you make in the beginning of your company have an outsized impact at the end. So if you have a co-founder, who do you give equity to? How do you split up that equity between founders? Does that equity vest over time? Who do you give equity to advisors? Who do you give equity to in terms of investors? And there are good investors and bad investors. And I've seen investors add a lot of value and I've seen investors kill companies. And so this book is not only written for those entrepreneurs who are thinking about when it's time to sell, it's also written for new entrepreneurs because there's really important decisions that you have to make at the beginning of the journey as well. And that's actually fantastic because I, I experienced uh, starting a business when I didn't think of selling it. But most, most entrepreneurs, when they start a business, they want right. to start that business uh, and that's it. Uh, and that has happened to me, starting one, and I had nothing. Even the partnership was, you know, a handshake. There was nothing written. And we had no idea ever to sell anything. But then when time came to sell, there was so many things missing because, right. because of the, that lack of knowledge and the intent. We didn't have the intention, right? Yeah, of, co of course. And, and when we wrote the book, we came up with this framework, which we call FAIR, which is fit, alignment, integration, and rationale as a construct for how to think about who is the best partner. Because we think of an exit not only as a moment in time where, okay, I'm going to sell my company, I'm done, but as a continuum of time because you're your employees, your customers, your strategic partners, they're going to live on in this new entity. And hopefully this is an opportunity to grow and expand and to have greater impact and you know, have a better home for your customers. And, and so the way we think about this is fit. Is it a good cultural fit, right? Um, You know, is it, um, is it, you know, uh, integration? Is there a, uh, an integration plan for how you're going to integrate into the new company? Rationale, is there, you know, is the reason for doing this is one plus one equal 10? Uh, is there a rationale that's so simple that your grandmother could understand it, right? So that's how, that's how we think about it. There's, there's one thing that I think about that I don't know if it can be explained uh, or, or if, if there was any way you could possibly yeah. put that in a book or in words is the business owner, the entrepreneur, how do they know if they are the one that's starving their company growth? You know, because a lot of people think uh, I started this company, so I know everything about it, but The reality is they may not be the best thing for that business. So how do, when somebody goes to buy uh, my business, how do they know if I should be uh, brought over with the business and stay there or just immediately kick out? Well, every, every transaction is different, of course. And it depends, is this, are you the single owner? Or do you have co 
founders? Do you have investors? Do you have shareholders? And you have to have you have to be self-aware. You have to look and see what are you good at? Will that be valued in the, by the acquiring company? Like how necessary and important is your skill set to the growth of the company? In my world, which is more of the technology world, most acquirers want the CEO, want the executive team, because they're buying the people every bit as much and their knowledge and their expertise every bit as much as the intellectual property of the, the underlying software. So in many cases, at least in the technology world, the, it, the CEO is an important component of the transaction. But it depends. Every CEO is different. And some are more technically inclined and some are more sales inclined. Some are more financially inclined. And it depends on what the acquiring company values and needs. So one more thing, Mark. When somebody has a big exit or a decent size exit, Sure. Most people don't talk about what happens after it actually, the deal is closed and everything, but friends and, and, and advice starts showing up from everywhere. Yeah. This is what you got to do now. This is where you got to invest. Uh, it, is that normal? And if it is, what do you do with that information? Well, before I answer that, let me just say, I believe in the concept of a servant CEO. And when there is an exit, the question I ask the CEOs are all the different stakeholders, will they want to work with you in the future? Will your employees want to come to work for you in the next company? Will your investors want to invest in your next company? How are you, will your customers want to buy from you again? How are you taking care of people? And I think that once again, we think in terms of long-term relationships and that the long-term relationships are in your legacy is really important. So before I answer your question about what do you do with this life-changing, you know, theoretically altering money that just came into your pocket, the first thing is humility and recognizing that it took a lot of people to get you to where you are today and making sure that you take care of the people who got you there. Then when it comes to you personally, um, one of uh, the forward in our book was written by a gentleman by the name of Brad Feld, who wrote uh, a famous VC who wrote one of the, the most important books in our, our world, which is called Venture Deals. And um, Brad has, uh, he tells entrepreneurs, which I agree with, which is when you have that exit and all those advisors come out of the woodwork and everybody comes with their hands out. That not don't take don't make any major financial uh, decisions for six months. Like give yourself some time to relax, to think about it, to process it. Like don't make any quick or rapid financial decisions. Give your little give yourself the luxury of time to to really think through the implications of what you want to do and how you want to spend that money. And I would also say that there's an obligation. You're now the superhero to the next generation of entrepreneurs. And we have a big belief in giving back. And, and I don't necessarily mean financially giving back, but, but helping that the next generation of entrepreneurs coming behind you and, and making sure that you, you, know, you pay it forward. Perfect. And I like that. 
uh, paying it forward. And like you said, even if it's not financial, but helping out uh, those who want to start out. And since um, uh, the thing is, a lot of people listening may think, I don't have the experience to teach somebody else. But if, for example, there are things that I know I don't know, but are others that, like I said earlier, I did some things wrong when I started my early business. And I know, I know to tell them not to do that. Right. Right. For sure. And we all make mistakes. You know, I meant, I mentioned scar tissue. I've made a ton of mistakes. Um, and hopefully I can share some of that wisdom with other entrepreneurs so they don't make the same mistakes that I made over time. And, you know, there's, there's lots of ways that you can give back and mentor and coach. And if it was a large enough of an outcome, maybe even invest in the next generation of entrepreneurs. But it's really important, um, in my opinion, to, to help, to help others. Mark, when you started out, where were you getting your advice from? Because I know when I started out, YouTube didn't even exist yet. So I couldn't just go search something. I couldn't go Google it. Uh, So where were you getting your information from? Well, I I was very lucky. My father was an entrepreneur and he had started several businesses. A couple succeeded, a couple failed. You know, he, he was sort of a, he was always trying something new. And when, um, when I was starting out my first business, I would go to my dad uh, for, you know, I was in my twenties. I'd go to my dad when I needed help or coaching or advice. Um, and I'm kind of chuckling because I also had this conflicting, I wanted to do it myself. Like I want, like I wanted to stand on my own and so I did go to my dad, but I also kind of pushed back a little bit too. Yeah, yeah, I, I know the feeling. Uh, you wanted to be able to show him the finished results, right? Not not along the way, like the small steps, right? Uh, yeah, it's uh, you were very fortunate to have uh, somebody in business that you could talk to directly like that. Yeah, I, I was very lucky. I, I had a, I had a couple of mentors, my dad being one of them. And, and, you know, I started my first business in 1986. And especially in technology, there, there weren't that many technology entrepreneurs. I was kind of a freak. You know, <laughs> when I said to my friends, I was, I was going to be an entrepreneur, they all looked at me like I was crazy. But, but today, there's, there's, there's really, there's so much uh, wisdom out there. There's so many people you can tap into, and I'm a huge believer in finding mentors, finding coaches, and uh, getting people that you trust and believe in to help you. Definitely. So, uh, Mark, on Math Venture Partners, you said there was uh, a sheet where the entrepreneurs could go find the steps of what they need to do? Yep. Uh, It's called the Founders Checklist. So my the venture fund the the website for Math Venture Partners is mathventurepartners.com and on that website there is something called the Founders Checklist and it's literally a six-page document that that just takes you through every single step of how to prepare for a meeting with us. Perfect. So I'll have those uh, on the show notes. It's mathventurepartners.com 
and then halfway through the page, there's a download option. And you don't even require an email or anything to download that sheet, right? No. Look, we have a give first mentality. I, I, we all, our job is to help entrepreneurs. And we have literally hundreds and hundreds of pieces of content on our website that we've created to help entrepreneurs over, you know, on like every subject imaginable. And we don't, our, like, we don't, we want to freely encourage entrepreneurs to use this. And our philosophy is we want to build relationships. And so whether we are a good fit for you today or you pivot and it's six months from now, or it's not this idea, but it's your next idea. Like our job, we just want to build a relationship and help. Nice. You know, I do like those little things. Like when you, offer something and there's no email capture required or right. when somebody offers here's your 15-day trial but the credit card is not required so it's actually free trial those okay. small things to me they make me feel like i'm dealing with somebody honest uh, well it's, it's, it's interesting you say that i have an investment thesis around trust I'm a big believer that we live in a world today where trust is at a premium, you know, and, and rightfully so. And those companies who really understand and value the importance of trust between themselves and their customers or end users or employees or partners will outperform over time. And so I am a huge believer in integrity and values and I think that uh, our industry does not talk about that nearly enough. Yeah, definitely. I uh, actually, uh, I interviewed one of the uh, the head of head of the human behavior department of the FBI, mm-hmm. and uh, I tried to you know try to pick his brain as much as I could because for twenty five years he was the head of that department. They study human behavior and counterintelligence, and so. Basically, they knew techniques of how to influence people. And, and I asked him, like, what is the best way to influence somebody? And he said, it actually, it's honesty. If yeah. somebody, if you gain somebody's trust, that is the way to make them do things is because you are being trustworthy to them. And if you break that trust, your relationship may be done for good. That's it. I agree. I, I actually, it's funny you should say that. I wrote, I gave a talk. Uh, a year ago called the inevitable economics of trust Mm. and basically making that same um, that same thesis fantastic so mark uh, math venture partners is where people can know more about math venture partners oh sorry i'm mathventurepartners.com is what i meant yeah yeah Uh, is that where they can is there a contact form if they want to reach out to you or reach out to anybody in your team uh, or is there any other link they should go to? Sure. So th- there is a contact form on the website, but to reach me, it's just mark at mathventurepartners.com, M-A-R-K at mathventurepartners.com, or uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm always happy to to talk with people and you know, please feel free to reach out. Awesome. And as for your book, you can find it on Amazon 
And if I can correct, exitrightbook.com. Is that it? That is correct as well. Exitrightbook.com or Amazon. And (laughs) my joke is, you know, if you're having trouble falling asleep at night, you you know, read a couple pages of the book, it'll help. But, you know, we've been, I've been so um, grateful. Uh, The book has really resonated with a lot of entrepreneurs, with a lot of people. And it's really fun for me to go speak to entrepreneurs when they've read the book and something in the book help get them through a particular uh, transaction or through, uh, we have a concept like an annual exit talk, you know, talking with your board, talking with your partners, what does it mean? When are we ready? And, you know, I I just get such a thrill out of uh, uh, when entrepreneurs, when it makes a difference. Mark, it's fantastic that that ripple effect of somebody that you help that most of the times you don't even know that because people don't come forward all the time and tell you, but sometimes you help somebody that you will never in your life know that you did. And you may change somebody's life with those small ripple effects from your book, from anything else you do. Man, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's sweet. You know, it's, 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 it's really joyful. You know, every now and then it's, it doesn't happen often, like I said, but every now and then somebody contacts me through the podcast and they mention how I helped them with something or somebody I had on the show helped them with something. Right. And the feeling, even though it's, it's a message or a Facebook message or a DM or whatever, it feels so good knowing that actually somebody was listening <laughs> And it, you know, and it did help them, uh, but it, it is—it's amazing. So, yeah. But by the way, that's also a good point. I always try. Um, I do this. So I'm a an adjunct professor at Northwestern University in their Kellogg School of Business. Mm. And one of the things I do in my class, in the very first day of class, is I ask my students to take their cell phone out and to text a compliment, an earned compliment to a coworker. And I get this strange look and they do it. Um, and what comes back from the, the text is, dude, are you okay? Yeah. Like, 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 or, or, or like just such profound thank you. And the reason I'm saying that is one of the things that holds human beings together, every single human being on the planet is we all of us love to receive compliments, but earned, not fake, not phony, but an earned compliment. And it turns out we're, we're pretty bad at giving it. And so to your point about how that made you feel when somebody gave you that earned compliment, um, I think all of us, it's a good reminder that while we all like to receive it, it's, it's, we're not particularly good at giving it, giving compliments. And when somebody goes out of their way to that does something that's extra special, you should always like take that extra second and just acknowledge it in, in an authentic, real way. And you know what? I don't do it enough either. So um, maybe it's a lesson for all of us here. Uh, shoot that text out to somebody right now that actually helped you do something and acknowledge it. And I'm going to do the same too. Thanks for that, Mark. That's that's fantastic advice. Oh, you're welcome. You, you know how you know how I I learned that I was at Redbox and I became the interim head of marketing, chief marketing officer, 
And I, I was at the department, the marketing department for a few weeks. And a woman that was working in that group, um, I asked her to do a special project. She did. She did a great job. She, you know, she worked extra hard. And I gave her a compliment. And she broke into tears. She literally started crying. And I went, oh, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to offend you in any way. And she went, no, 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 it's not you. It's just that I've been working here for four years. And that's the first time somebody ever gave me a compliment from the work I did. I went, wow, really? And like just the wellspring of emotion. I went, ha, I am always going to try and do that from now on. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, somebody may be trying for, for a long time to do the best they can and be noticed. And sometimes that simple recognition and tap in the back saying you're doing great sometimes is, is worth more than the raise that, that I guess that everybody wants. But, you know, the, the feeling is the feeling stays there while that raise is forgotten, you know. Right. And it has to be authentic and it has to be earned. But but, yeah, it's so important. It really is. Awesome. Guys, remember this, remember this information here and, and everything else that was done, that was said during the show. And I'm going to have the show notes with uh, Mark's uh, business information, his uh, LinkedIn, exitrightbook.com, mathadventurepartners.com. Check those out in the show notes. And if you want to get in contact with Mark and have your business pitched, if you have something that is out of the ordinary, uh, here, this is for you. <laughs> great. Mark, well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's been great. I appreciate it. And, and uh, I encourage all the, the listeners out there, if I could help in any way, please don't hesitate to, to reach out. So thank you. Awesome. And thank you, Mark. It was a big pleasure. Thanks for subscribing to Fail Fast Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review and visit failfastpodcast.com for show notes, Quinn's social media, or even to tell us your story.